Hey, if uh, you have a Bible, Acts chapter four is where we're gonna be for the next few moments this morning. And, and uh, together, just very practically speaking, I want us to talk about, like, what does it mean, like, what does it mean to walk in spiritual victory as you face spiritual oppression, spiritual warfare, spiritual battle? Like, like what does it look like to stand in victory in the midst of spiritual opposition, battle, warfare, whatever you, know, you wanna call it? Because here's the reality, if you are a human being, <laughs> If you are breathing, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you are a human being, you are going to face spiritual opposition. You're gonna face spiritual battle. And the question is, how do you begin to walk in victory in the midst of that? I remember several months ago, there's a guy in our church who for years he's been on this journey of faith and really wrestled with, okay, is this whole Jesus story, is it true? Can I buy into this? And you know, he and I would have conversations and he'd always say, Dave, I don't want to give my life to a fairy tale. And I'm like, I don't either. And so if you find out something that I don't know, please let me know because I don't wanna give my life to a fairy tale either. And he's on this journey of just faith. And several months ago, he came to this place, this decision where he realized, man, Jesus Christ really did live. He really did die. He really did raise from the dead, and I want to serve him and follow him. And so he surrendered his life to Christ in faith, got baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, started walking in a discipling community. And uh, several weeks went by, and I ran into him, and I said, hey, I said, uh, how's it going? You know, you've given your life to Jesus. Like, what's it been like? And I don't know what I was expecting, but his response was awesome. He said, it's been terrible. And I'm like, oh, How's that for like a, a plug for tonight? Get baptized and Jesus will ruin your life, you know? And, and uh, he's like, man, it's been so hard. He said, I crossed this line of faith and it's like all hell is broken loose. It's like I took this, this step and like relationships and, you know, stuff with my family and stuff with my work. He said, I took this step of faith and it's all like, all hell is kind of broken loose. And there's this, this moment where I was just reminded, like as I was listening to him, what my own journey has been like. And that is, so often in life, when we have a moment of spiritual breakthrough, right on the, the heels of that breakthrough will come a battle. That wherever there's spiritual breakthrough, there are going to be spiritual battles. Remember when God uh, called Sydney and I to start Ethos Church, you know, we'd never pastored, never preached, didn't know what we were doing, but we knew God had called us to do it. And we'd gone through this season of discernment, and I'll never forget, it's like the, the day, literally, the day we said, yes, Jesus, we will do this. We stepped into the opportunity, and then the opposition came. And the enemy was just coming. And, and spiritual warfare is breaking out in our life like we never expected. And it's what we've learned over and over and over. Wherever there is breakthrough, so often there are gonna be battles. And the battles are gonna take all different shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're gonna be psychological battles where, where the devil will begin to, to speak against your frame of mind. He'll, he'll cause you to doubt. He'll cause you to doubt your identity. He'll cause you to doubt the goodness of God. He'll cause you to doubt the realness of Jesus. He'll, he'll play mind games with you. Sometimes that's where the battle takes place. Sometimes it's not a psychological battle, it's a physical battle. It's what some people in our church have experienced. You take a step with Jesus and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the cancer comes back, the sickness returns. Some people in our church literally have experienced the physical persecution. So it's happening all over the world. There's times when the battle is not just psychological, it's physical. Then there's, there's times when the battle is social. It's what most of us are experiencing. On some level, we, we live in a cultural moment where it's okay to be crazy about Jesus as long as you being crazy about Jesus is private and personal. But the moment your faith in Jesus becomes public and bold, then the culture has something to say about it and you begin to feel the pressure of social oppression where the social norms begin to say, hey, like, just kind of calm down a bit. 
Calm down a bit, keep it in check. And here, here's the reality. Wherever there is spiritual breakthrough, so often there are gonna be spiritual battles. And the battles are gonna take all sorts of different forms, but here's what I want you to hear. The source of those battles is always the same. There's a real enemy uh, the, the devil, Satan, he has come against the children of God. He's the one that showed up in the Garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve. He's the one that showed up in the desert to tempt Jesus after his baptism. He's the one that came after the early church in the book of Acts, and he's the one that's coming after you. And the reality is the reason that so often battles follow these moments of breakthrough is not because the universe is against you. It's because there's a very real enemy who's against you. And ultimately, he's against Jesus, and he knows the best way to wound God the Father's heart is to come against his children. And so the battle's real, but here, here's the good news, is our battle's not against flesh and blood, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so although the battles will come, the battles are not something to be feared, because Christ is the victor. And so this morning, I just wanna talk about whether it's physical or social or psychological, whatever the battle is that has come to the, the battleground of your life, what does it look like to stand in victory? And here's what I love about the book of Acts, if you've been tracking with us, the first few chapters of Acts, man, it is just spiritual breakthrough after spiritual breakthrough after spiritual breakthrough. Jesus literally breaks out of the tomb. He raises from the dead. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit fills your life to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So they get in a room and they pray and the power of God is poured out on their life at the day of Pentecost and this revival happens. So we've looked at several weeks in a row where, where people are coming to faith in Jesus. This community is formed. People are being healed. People are placing their, their faith in Jesus. And then you get to Acts chapter three and all of a sudden the power of God begins to break out amongst these real people. People are getting healed and it's breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And then all of a sudden the battle begins to come. And the battle throughout the book of Acts is gonna escalate, it's gonna intensify. But it starts in Acts chapter four where if you were here two weeks ago, the week before Easter, Brandon, he took us through the first part of this story where they had healed a guy outside of the temple. Do you remember this? They had healed this guy outside of the temple and all of a sudden the powers that be, they come against the church, not with physical oppression and not with psychological oppression so much, they come against them with social oppression. And they say, hey, we, we want to quiet down this thing that's beginning to happen. We're gonna pick up in Acts chapter 14, or Acts chapter four, starting in verse 18. Uh, I just invite you to open your Bibles and it goes like this. It says, then they called them in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, that's two of Jesus's friends, they replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was 40 years old. And so there's this moment where the power of God had broken through into the city. This man had been healed. And all of a sudden, the social pressure, the opposition, the battle is coming against those that have experienced a breakthrough. And they said, hey, we, we want you to quiet this thing down. We want you to kind of snuff this thing out. And I want you to notice the, the physical persecution and attack hadn't yet started. But it keeps going like this. Look at verse 23. We'll read the rest of the story and then we're gonna come back and pull out some principles that I think may help you. Verse 23, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God and they said, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
They begin to literally pray the words of Psalm 2 here. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly, verse 32. And it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses would sell them. They'd bring the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the word of God coming out of Acts chapter four. And there's this moment, I want you to see this, where, where the church was experiencing great spiritual breakthrough. People were coming to faith. Miraculous power was being outpoured. Things were shifting and shaking in the city that they were in. And it's there in the midst of that great breakthrough that all of a sudden the battles begin to come. And I, I want us this morning, just notice kind of three things that I think allow us to stand in victory as the spiritual oppression comes. Because the question is not if you will face the battles. The, the question is, will you stand victorious in the midst of them? So if you take notes, kind of the first thing I want you to notice is that the way we stand in Christ-like victory in the midst of spiritual opposition, number one, is that we make the commitment to live in spirit-filled community. We make the commitment to live in spirit-filled community. Look back at verse 23, it's so important. Right after they face the opposition, verse 23 says this, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. There's this, there's this moment of, uh, of challenge, of battle, of opposition that came their way. And their first instinct was not to, to go by themselves and to get into a closet. It wasn't to listen to a podcast or to go for a walk around Radnor Lake. Like the, the first thing that happened in the face of spiritual opposition, it says they went back to their community. But not just to their community, they, they go back to this spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-alive community. Because there's something that happens in the context of spiritual community that doesn't just encourage us, it actually strengthens us for the battles that every one of us are gonna face. And this week I just kinda kept asking the question, you know, all of us know that community is important, but in the spiritual sense, why is it so significant in the context of victory? And I think there's several reasons. Uh, one of the things that hit me is, is I think part of the reason spirit-filled community is so important, I think part of the reason is sociological. And here's what I mean by that. I think intuitively, every one of us goes, okay, we're better together in community than we are apart. It's just kind of a numbers game, right? Like, you don't have to be that smart to go, hey, we're stronger together. Boldness is transferred. Faith is transferred. We all understand that if a single snowflake falls and hits your hand, it will melt. But if a bunch of snowflakes fall all at the same time and land on a city, they'll shut down a city, right? And on their own, they're not too much. But together, man, it's crazy what they can do. And we really believe that one follower of Jesus on their own, although maybe they can do a little bit, man, when followers of Jesus come together in strength and power and unity, something begins to shift. And I think a part of it is just sociological. It's what Ecclesiastes 4.11 talks about where it says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That we're stronger when we're held together. I think it's the reason why Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, when he's sending out the disciples, 
He's sending them out to, to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and to raise the dead. He doesn't send them out as lone rangers. What does he do? He sends them out by twos. He sends them out in community because there's a strength, there is a sociological strength that comes when we're together. Remember several years ago, there was a situation that I had to deal with in our church. There was a guy who was, he was dangerous and violent and just really tough, tough guy to deal with. He was, he, he was threatening people in the church and kind of part of my job is to, to confront those challenging situations. I know you're jealous, like that's part of what I get to do when, when, when that happens. And, and you know, you can look at me and I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm not saying anything profound here. You all recognize I'm a physical threat to nobody, right? And so <laughs> the fact that you laugh so quickly hurt a little bit, but um, you know, like, so I've got to deal with this situation. This guy just, just kind of breathing out threats against some people and uh, hard heart against the Lord and is hurting some people. And so there's this, this moment where I thought, man, I've got to go to this guy's house. I don't know how he's going to react. And so I called one of my friends and I said, I, I need a friend to come with me. And, and I needed this really kind of for two reasons. One it was just kind of that, uh, man, I've got to say some hard things. And I know that if I don't have community with me, I may, I may chicken out. And, and man, there's strength that comes in numbers. And then the other part was, man, we may have to throw fisticuffs and I've gotta be ready. Like, I need another guy to help me. It's just being true, you know? And I'm like, I'm gonna bring somebody with me to deal with this situation. And, and, and I love this because in the face of battle, in the face of opposition, I love their first response is they go back to spirit-filled community and a part of it's a sociological reality. But it's so much more than that. It's not just sociological, it's actually supernatural. This is what Jesus said in, in Matthew 18. Jesus said, whenever two or three people gather in my name, he says, my presence is actually there with you. The, what happens as we gather, the reason we get strength for the battle, it's not just because we cheer each other up and we transfer boldness and we give each other this like pep talk. It's because no, as, as we, we gather together, the very presence of God himself is among us. And so what the psalmist says when he says, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Like the reason we come in and sing on Sundays, it's not just to, to pep ourselves up and to fire ourselves up. This is not a big pep rally. But we believe the word of God is true, that literally as we worship, the, the presence of God draws near wherever believers are. Jesus shows up to strengthen, to minister, to heal, to bless, to do what only he can do. And so whenever you gather in your house church or in your discipleship group or your recovery group or around a coffee table with another believer, God is there in your midst. And some of you are going, man, we were at house church last week and it was pretty sucky if we're honest. Like, like I'm not sure that God was there. Here's the good news. Jesus shows up even at the house churches that suck. He does. He shows up. His presence is not based on your performance. And so he put the pressure on his promise. And the promise is that wherever two or three gather in my name, I'm there. He says, I'll RSVP for that. I'll show up for that. I'll be there. So we come together in community saying, God, we long for your presence. And how do we stand in the face of spiritual battle, spiritual opposition? Man, it starts with us anchoring down in spirit-filled community. There's things that happen when we're together that do not happen in a podcast or a book or a walk around a lake by yourself. There's something that happens only when we come together. So the question is, like, like, not if you're gonna face the battle, but who are you gonna face the battle with? Who are your people? Who are your spirit-filled people? You know, we could point you in all sorts of directions. Like, if you're not in a house church, man, we're gonna help you get in a house church. 
This summer, we've got grow classes that will help you grow deeper with the Lord. If you wanna get in a community, we'll help you in a grow class, we'll help you serve, we'll help you do all those things. But I wanna give you something so simple this morning that you would have to pay somebody to help you misunderstand this, okay? So I remember when I was in high school, I had a youth pastor, and he'd always say, hey, if you're walking the Christian life alone, you're not actually walking the fullness of the Christian life. You've gotta do this in community. And he'd always ask us, he'd say, hey, who is your Simon? Because you remember that moment where Jesus is walking up to the cross, he's carrying the cross, and Jesus who had been beaten severely, it says they pulled a man named Simon out of the crowd, and that man named Simon helped Jesus carry the cross up the hill. And our youth pastor would always look at us, he'd say, who's your Simon? And he'd always say, don't let a day go by that you don't talk to your Simon. And for 21 years now, not a day, or maybe a day or two, but almost every day for 21 years, I've had a phone conversation with a Simon of mine. Just on the phone, man, what's God doing? How can we pray? How can we encourage? Why? Because the battles are going to come. Wherever there's a breakthrough, there's gonna be a battle, but you don't have to face it alone. And they start by stepping into spirit-filled community. That's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing is not just that they step into spirit-filled community, but that spirit-filled community starts choosing to see the the world through the lens of the spirit-inspired word. So it's not just a spirit-filled community. Number two, they begin to see the world through the lens, through the framework of the spirit-inspired word of God. I want you to notice this. They, they get in their community. Look at verse 24. It says, when they had heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, and they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. And then they go on and they talk about Jesus' death and resurrection and how he predicted all of that. And I want you to notice what happens when this community comes together. The first thing they begin to do in the spirit is they begin to look at what the scriptures have said about their circumstances and they begin to see their circumstances through the lens of the scriptures. And they begin quoting Psalm chapter two. You need to go back and read Psalm chapter two today. There's that moment where they say, man, why do the nations rage and plot in vain? And that Psalm ends with them reminding themselves that God sits in victory over all of the battles that we as human beings face. So what Jesus was doing on the cross, remember that moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he literally begins praying the word of God back to his father. He starts praying Psalm 22 that starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 starts with a a question. It ends with a declaration of victory. (laughs) I'm convinced in that moment, Jesus was not doubting God. He was choosing to see his circumstances and his suffering through the lens of what God had already promised. I think every one of us, we have a choice. Will you see, will you see your circumstances through the promises and the lens of the Bible? Or will you reduce the promises in the lens of the Bible so that they fit in the context of your circumstances? And the way you answer that question, the way you answer that question will shift the way you face the spiritual battles. Here's the reality. Jesus was such a truth teller, and I love that moment. Right before he goes to the garden in Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, he looks at the disciples and he makes it very clear. He says, I wanna tell you what your life is getting ready to be like as you follow me. He says, your life is gonna be filled both with my promises and pain from the world. He says, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, you're gonna experience peace, there's gonna be all kinds of promises. He says, but people are also gonna reject you, they're gonna hate you, they're gonna despise you, and some of you will be killed for it. And he gets to the end of that very discouraging pep talk, 
He gets to the end of that conversation in John 16, verse 33, and this is what he says. He says, I've told you all of these things so that in me you will have peace. Because in this world, you will have trouble, but take this into your heart, I've overcome the world. I love this, never once does Jesus promise that if you follow me, then fill in the blank, you get the job, you get the spouse, the disease goes away. That's not the promise of Jesus. The promise of Jesus is, you be faithful to me, and what you get is me. (laughs) You be faithful to me, and what you get is me. And we pray that the cancer goes away, We pray that the circumstances are changed, but even when they're not, you get the one who has overcome all those things and you don't face the battle alone. I love this this moment where the disciples, they get into this room after the battle has come, after the opposition has come. They step into this spirit-filled community and then they begin to put themselves under the spirit-inspired word of God. They're saying, hey God, what have you said about this? What have you promised? What have you told us would happen? And would you help us to make sense of our circumstances in light of this, as opposed to making this fit into our circumstances? Guys, this is the reason we read this word Study this word, memorize this word, obey this word, love this word. Why? Why? Because the God of this word has said, hey, this, this is what it means to do life in me. And here's the thing I just wanna challenge you with. You know, the average American adult spends four hours a day with your face and your phone. It's a crazy statistic to me. And every day, like, your, your world is being shaped Your understanding of pain and suffering and all the stuff you're facing is being shaped by so many things. And I go, man, God, may you help us to spend more time in this than more time like this. May you help us, God. So we come together, come together around the word. We come together in spirit-filled community. It's how we stand in the midst of spiritual battle. And number three, we keep coming back to God for more of his power. We keep coming back to God for, for more of his power. Look at verse 31 with me. It says, after they come in community, after they had gotten into the word, it says they prayed, and the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Here's what I love in this moment. You know, they get in this room after this intense spiritual battle that they're feeling. They get in the word of God, they pray, they worship in the context of community, and all of a sudden, the spirit of God just begins to move in a fresh way. And here's what I found so often in my life is that it's in the seasons of greatest spiritual battle that I experience the strength of God's presence in ways I never could have imagined. He shows up in amazing ways. I think back to a few weeks ago, you know, right after we'd finished that month-long journey of prayer and fasting and uh, with the whole city and God was doing amazing things, there was this uh, one day I'd gotten away on a little spiritual retreat and uh, uh, I was away for a couple of days just trying to get, get some wisdom from God. And I was reading through the Gospel of Luke. It's just kind of what I was doing. Each day I was just reading through the Gospels and trying to take in the Word of God into my life. And so uh, I get a phone call from a number I didn't recognize. I shouldn't have answered it, but I did. Rookie mistake. You know, I, I answered this phone call, and it's, it's a reporter from a national news organization that had heard about what God was doing in the city of Nashville and wanted to have a talk. So I enter into this conversation with this lady, super nice, not a follower of Jesus. We're, I'm going to share the Gospel with her. We're just talking about what God had been doing in the city uh, of, of Nashville. And about an hour after we get off the phone, uh, you know, this article goes out, and, and it, it wasn't super favorable. There's some things that were misrepresented in it, and all of a sudden, my buddies just begin to, like, blow up my phone. I'm so sorry, you know, and so sorry, and I'm like, oh, and I, and I realized in that moment that I had bought the lie. I'd bought the lie that if I'm faithful like this, I'll be liked by people. 
If I'm kind, I'll be understood. If we do something right, it'll always work out. And so I come back and I'm like, okay, Lord, like you gotta speak to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm like going through the gospel of Luke and I, I kid you not. So I literally pray, I'm there in this little apartment. I'm like, Lord, would you just speak to me through your word? I'm just feeling the battle raging all around me. And so the next passage of scripture that I read, I kid you not, it's the passage where Jesus says, woe to you when people only speak kindly of you for that's how they talk about the false prophets. And I'm like, oh, he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when people speak poorly of you. Blessed are you when people misunderstand you. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when they do those things in my name. I went, okay, Lord, I heard you loud and clear. <laughs> Bring on the blessing. And here, here's the reality. If you're living under the lie that if you are just faithful, then it all works out nicely. It's a lie. But the truth is, if you're faithful, what you get is Jesus. And when you get Jesus, it will work out exactly as he, as he has said, because he's the victor. He's the victor. And there's this moment where the disciples, these guys and these gals, they are not shaken by their circumstances. Why? Because they were shaken by God in a fresh way in the context of community, under the authority of his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were shaken by God, so they were able to face the shaking of their culture. They stood in this place of strength. Here's what I love is the disciples at this point in the story. I go, how many times have they been baptized by the Holy Spirit at this point? You know, in John 20, they're baptized by the Spirit. In Acts 2, they receive more of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, they receive the Spirit again. Literally 60 days have gone by. They've been baptized in the Spirit three times. I go, how often do we need to be filled in the Spirit? Apparently, they needed it every 20 days. I go, what about you? I remember when I was in high school, I grew up in church, and you know how this is if you grew up in church in high school? You know, in the summers, we'd go on these youth camps and these youth conferences, and, and every youth camp and every youth conference ended the same way. It ended with an altar call, right? And so we'd get to the altar call, and kind of the running joke in our youth group was that there was this one kid in our group that every time there was an altar call, he went forward. And we're like, this dude's been saved like 100 times. I mean, he, he goes forward, he's getting saved all the time, and so... Uh, you know, because I was 15 and immature, we would do what 15, uh, immature 15-year-olds would do. We'd make fun of him every time he'd go forward to get saved, you know. And so I remember this one night, uh, he comes, uh, we're coming back after this youth event, and he's gotten saved for like the 50th time, and we're, we're exercising the 10th fruit of the Spirit, which is sarcasm, and so we're making fun of him and <laughs> trying to make him feel real comfortable. And I'll never forget, he just snapped, and he said, hey, guys, I, I, I'm not going up to get saved again. He said, I've, I've already been saved, he says, I'm just going up because I'm desperate for more of God's power in my life. Amen. And he said, I just recognize anytime there's an opportunity to encounter God, I'm gonna go. And the bus went silent. <laughs> and I was like, man, God, that's who I wanna be. Like, if you've been living under this notion that you made a decision when you're 15, year old, 15 years old and you have all of God that you need, you're living under a false notion. I want us to be a church that comes together in spiritual unity and community under the weight of the word, hungry and desperate for fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. So it happened a few weeks ago when we said, who needs a miracle in your life? And like 200 people came up to get prayed over. I go, that should be the norm in church. When you walk in this room through those archways, it's like you're walking into an SA meeting or an AA meeting and you come in and your presence here is an admission that you need the mercy of God. And so this is a place where we're not embarrassed saying, hey God, would you fill us anew? Acts 4 began with a battle, it ends with a breakthrough and the mission of God spurs out. So what happened amongst the people 
That's what happened with Jesus. He goes into the desert, he faces a battle. Luke chapter three says he comes out filled in power with the Spirit of God. And I believe the victory or the, uh, the battles that you're facing, not only does Jesus wanna give you victory, he wants to give you power. Not just to survive it, but to thrive it. Not to retreat, but to rise up so that the mission of God would advance in your life. The truth is, like, you're sitting here, some of you, you're not Christians. I just say this with like, all the love and the gentleness. I know how to say it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the most significant battle that you're facing right now in your life, I guarantee you, it is not the battle between you and your circumstances. It is the battle in your heart between you and God. So Colossians 1 says, Colossians says, this was my story before I became a follower of Jesus. It's your story if you're not yet following Jesus, whether you accept this to be true or not. I just say it with love. Before we become followers of Jesus, the scriptures say that we are enemies of God. It's us uh, against God, our will against his will, our thoughts against his thoughts, our wants against his wants. But here's the gospel. Do you know how God treats his enemies? Do you know how he treats you when you're at war with him? It says, when you were at war with the Lord, he sent his one and only son because he loved you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you, to be raised for you. He offered his son Jesus as a peace offering so that the war in your heart between you and God could be put to rest at peace. And when you become a follower of Jesus, the battles do not cease, but the battlefield changes. And no longer is it between you and God, but it's between you and the enemy. Uh, it's between you and the devil and the Lord stands with you. I go, man, if you've been resisting, I go, man, today's your day. Today's your day to trust and follow Jesus, to get baptized tonight, to get filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk in community where we say, hey, we'll stand with you. We'll stand for you. Because the question's not if the battles will come, it's how do you stand in victory in the midst of them. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, here in a minute, we have men and women at the Respond Banner. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, answer any questions you have. Come back tonight, be baptized, be filled by the Spirit of God. For the rest of you, I go, if you're following Jesus, the question that I have for you is what battles are you facing in which you need the Spirit of God to help you live in victory? Maybe it's a battle you're facing in your marriage, in your circumstances, in your finances. Maybe it's a battle in your mind. Maybe it's a battle with somebody that you love. What's the battle that you're facing and how do you need the victorious presence of Christ in your life? And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us and in a moment I'm gonna send you to the table table of grace to get the bread and to get the cup. And every week as we walk to that table, literally as you stand up and walk, it, it is like us waving the white flag saying, God, we need your mercy. We need your grace. We take your body. We take your blood. We recognize your presence is here among us to not just forgive us, but to give us victory, to give us healing. And so get the bread and get the cup. Come back to your seats. We're going to have a question on the screen that you can talk about, that you can pray through. If you wanna receive prayer, if you wanna to come to Christ, come to the Respond Banner, we'd love to do that. Let's stand together, and I wanna just pray a prayer blessing over you as we go to the table. God, I love you and I thank you. I thank you, God, for the gift of my brothers and sisters. I thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. God, I thank you for the strength that comes in community, but more importantly, your presence that's here with us as we commune. God, I thank you I thank you for the fruitfulness that's, that literally spurs up as we put ourselves under the authority of your word. God, we're asking for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit on this church, God. Every man, woman, and child in the church, God, would we receive more of your grace? Would we receive more of your power for the battles within and the battles around so that we can experience more of you in our life? It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and give thanks. Amen.